Well, for us adults, life just keeps getting stranger and stranger and for the most part worse. I think for me, the photos of San Francisco on Wednesday, glowing orange at midday, pretty well visually sums up 2020 so far. Kind of a combination of sci-fi apocalypse and biblical end of times. I think by now many of us feel like David in our Hebrew First Testament reading. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men and women say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. There is about this anguished cry, a melancholy that I recognize at least, a feeling of God's absence, a wondering of when it will all be over, a sense that the wrong people are getting ahead and are arrogant about it, and a wistful memory of days when God's people used to gather together in joyful worship. As you are viewing this and hearing this live stream in your own home, I and a few others are in this space that where we used to gather, both for joyful worship and downstairs afterwards for joyful community at coffee hour. And like David, I miss those days. And I know that many of you are missing our times in the presence of one another. And yet, just as David's words echo some of our sadness, they also remind us that this will end, even with the honest recognition and acknowledgement of the present difficult times, a refrain of hope threads through this poem. Verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 8, by day the Lord directs God's love. At night, God's song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And again at verse 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise the Lord, my Savior and my God. Like David and ourselves, in our main text for this morning, Paul is unable to be with those to whom he is writing. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in the town of Philippi, Greece, when uh, he was undergoing a very difficult time himself. 
This was, uh, this group of, of people in Philippi were the first group of people in Europe to hear Paul's stories about this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And they were the first to believe in Europe in the truth of Paul's good news about Jesus being our Savior and our Lord. But Paul couldn't be with the sisters and brothers in Philippi at this time when he was writing because he was in jail. He had been arrested for civil disturbance, essentially because of preaching about Jesus of Nazareth being God incarnate, caused a lot of disturbance. Paul was in jail uh, either in the city of Ephesus or Rome. We don't know for sure when he wrote this one, but he was in one of those two in jail. So when he writes in verse 7 about how uh, joyful he is, how thankful he is for them, um, for whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, when he says that, he means it literally, whether he is in chains or not. Paul can't be with the Christians in Philippi and it hurts, it saddens him. He writes in verse eight, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And as seriously as Paul took his relationship with God and his understanding of God, he would not invoke God's name about how much he misses them unless it was deeply true. But even though Paul can't be together with those he used to worship with in Philippi, and even though he was in jail, he is still filled with joy. Verses three and four, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. One commentator believes that joy is the characteristic feature of the entire letter. Another commentator pointed out that Paul's, Paul's use of joy in this opening is the first of 14 times in this short letter that he mentions joy. Why is Paul joyful? Even though he can't be together with those he loves and he is in the midst of a very trying time personally. I be believe it is because he is filled with the experience of Jesus Christ. Both historically this has been true and in the moment. And Christ bonds him together with all the sisters and brothers in Philippi even when they can't be together physically. Listen again to what Paul writes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, literally to all the holy ones in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers. As one point, person points out, he even prays for the pastors, which was nice of him. Uh, but that phrase that he uses, that he, Timothy, and the Philippian Christians are holy people in Christ Jesus, 
As one commentator wrote, those words, holy in Christ, sum up Paul's Christianity. Those words denote the most intimate living union that can be conceived between the soul of the believer and the risen Lord. He, the risen Lord, as spirit, is the atmosphere in which the new life is lived. And that spirit of Christ, that atmosphere in which Paul and the Philippians live, binds them together with love in their hearts. Again, verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Through this experience of Christ, Paul and the Philippians also share together in the experience of God's grace and God's peace. When Paul writes, as he does in many of his letters, this opening, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a throwaway line of greeting for Paul. Again, a a commentator, and some of these I'm, I'm just saying a commentator because a couple of the resources I'm using are sort of combinations edited by a number of people, and it doesn't credit who wrote each specific piece. So one of the commentators Uh, elaborates on what these words, grace and peace, mean for Paul and the Philippians. Grace, the, the Greek word charis, for Paul is the central revelation of the heart of God, grace. The heart of God in the redemption which Christ has accomplished for unworthy sinners. And its direct result, the direct result of grace is Irene, peace. The harmony and health of that life which is reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. This is all what comes together in Jesus, grace and peace and joy. And given what Jesus himself prayed for, for all of his followers, it is no wonder that all of these things, grace and peace and joy, come together in the experience of Christ with us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and later crucified, John relays the words of prayer that Jesus prayed. He initially prays for himself, and then he prays for his immediate disciples gathered with him, And then Jesus prays for all those who would believe in him because of his immediate disciples, the apostles. Such were the Philippians, and such are we, those who believe because of their message. And this is Jesus's prayer. I pray for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them 
and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me, which he says later is, you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. This is a love, a grace, a peace that is to be descend to the very core of our being and unite us in the very core of our being with others in grace and peace and joy and love. We are bound together by Christ in us and around us. It is sad for me to be apart from you these days. And I know that many of you are sad not to be together as well. Admitting these feelings has nothing to do with losing faith. In fact, we are in good company considering these scripture verses. King David, Jesus' disciples, after he was arrested, again after he was crucified, again after he was buried, and again even after he ascended to heaven. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, feels these things. These are difficult times. Being in the presence of those we know and love would be comforting. And still, through all that we read in the scriptures and all that we do and say and sing in worship, there is a refrain of hope that runs like a thread through it all. As your pastor, though I am not imprisoned as Paul was, I offer up his words to you. This time I'll read it through the translation in the message. Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it right up to the present. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God, that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. It's not at all fanciful for me to think this way about you. My prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality. You have, after all, stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail, put on trial, and come out of it in one piece. And again, I haven't been through those things, but we now are all in a trial of sorts in confinement of sorts, and together through it. All along, you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. God knows how much I love you and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ Jesus does. 
So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental mush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of. Bountiful fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. In Christ, we are united in joy, in grace, in peace, and in love. Thanks be to God.